0: We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay.
1: And today's guest is Andy Torbett. Andy is a professional cave diver, free diver, skydiver and climber. This has led him into a world of exploration, TV presenting and as a stunt performer. And in this interview we discuss how to overcome fear, the need for and how to train for challenges in your life, how to build resilience in your own life and so much more. And now let's get to the interview. Firstly, how do you describe who you are and what you do? Because you're multifaceted, you know, you do so many amazing things. But you know, if you had that cliche five minute icebreaker, how on earth do you sell what you do in that time?
2: Five minutes would be a luxury. Usually, I've, I've got to fit it into like one line. Um, it's it's genuinely a difficult question, and the one I I don't have a I don't have a succinct answer for. Um, the reality is that I make a living. I physically pay the mortgage and feed my kids by earning money from stunts. Uh, movie stunts from magazine articles, from doing sort of public speaking um, from, and from sponsorship and from doing some TV presenting. But all those things are based around, not my ability as a actor or a journalist or a presenter or all that sort of stuff, but based around the fact that I'm a, 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 a cave diver, a fairly decent cave diver and, and sort of deep technical diver. A freediver, um, a skydiver, climber, X forces—you know, ride horses, that sort of stuff. Um, so, and, and, and you know, from year to year, how much sort of money I generate from each different thing is is, is different. Diff, diff, is always different. I mean, COVID was you know great for some stuff and terrible for others. So. I don't really know. I don't see the honest answer. That's, that's the long form answer. I mean, often if I'm filling in forms for like, you know, um, customs or, or, or immigration, That's sort of things, I'll use a good diver because of all the things I do, you know, even though I'm, I'm on the – well, the last few years have been selected for the, the Team GB skydiving team, the best thing I do is underwater, you know, that and, and, uh, and, and diving stuff. Um, and that's certainly – where I initially sort of made my name and stunt was in the water stuff. So that's what I do best. So often if it's just like, yeah, so we goes, I'm filling a form and it's like occupation on a diver. Um, but the reality is much more complicated than that. <laughs>
1: Because it's usually it's like UFC fighter or it's like you know um, military guy or you know and I was kind of thinking how do I sell, how do I sell this or explain who he is to people?
2: Yeah, because uh, even if I, for t- well for ten years most of them I, I was I was doing a lot of presenting in the BBC. I've kind of came away from that and gone more in the stunt world just because I really enjoy the work kind the of people. But, but even when I was presenting the BBC pretty regularly. I'd never call myself a presenter because I wasn't I wasn't there because I'm a very, very good TV presenter. I was there because they would wheel me in to do the jobs that no one else wanted to do. Like, right, we need somebody who can string a sentence together, but also, you know, dive to 120 metres uh, on a shipwreck or wingsuit out of a plane or climb a frozen waterfall in, in or, or climb a glacier in Greenland, you know. And it's a pretty short list, so they wheel me in. So even those jobs were not based on the fact that I'm a TV presenter. They were based on the fact that I was a cave diver or a skydiver or a climber or whatever. So, um, yeah, I come back to those this, this sort of core skills that have opened the doors into all the kind of, I suppose they're all media type things that actually, I, like, that's how I pay the mortgage.
1: So you were like me, you were brought up in the Highlands of Scotland. and mm-hmm. um, what, do you think that's the motivation that made you become the Andy you today? You know, the snorkeling when you were younger, the diving, the sort of going out and exploring the world outside. And do you think that's why people struggle now is life's become too easy. We're not having challenges in our own lives, you know, and that's something we need to do is go out and explore the world and interact with nature more.
2: Yeah, I don't know if it's, it's specifically the Highlands. I mean, b- but um yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the, the question I know the answer is: well, How did you get into the outdoors? Like, well, I didn't get into it. It's just I, used, I lived in a bloody forest by a loch, so you know, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, that was just what it was. Was my garden. um I, You know, I think there's a certain resilience that you you get growing up in the country, but then there's there's other resiliences that you get growing up in the urban areas. That, that has its challenges, its problems. Um, and certainly for me when I had kids, there's one thing I sort of misses like, right, I want them to move to the country. I want them grown up surrounded by trees and, you know, and wildlife and that sort of stuff. Um and yeah, I think it's a more natural, healthy environment. But by the same token, not everyone can manage it because frankly there's just not enough there's not enough land in the UK, right? We're a very densely populated small island for everyone to live in the middle of nowhere. Um but returning to your question, I do think that we we need challenges and obstacles and failures in our lives. It's not pleasant, um, and I've been through quite a number of them. But I think, for starts, human beings were never designed to be happy all the time. You know, you if you cannot be happy twenty-four-seven, uh, it is it, it's insanity. It's not it's not physically possible. And what you tend to find is that. People will always find things to be anxious, to be nervous, to be unhappy about. And the better your life is, the more comfortable your life is, the more minor those things are. So if people are lo- leading lovely lives, they get really annoyed and stressed because, you know, Amazon are going to deliver a package in two days time rather than one day time, you know. Um, it was described to me once as... Um, uptown problems and downtown problems. Uptown problems is your Ferrari won't fit in your garage, or you get too many hundred pound notes for you to fit in your wallet, or your diamond encrusted shoes are making your feet hurt. <laughs> downtown problems is I've lost my job and my kids are starving. Downtown mm-hmm. problems is I've got cancer. Th- those are you know. So everyone has problems. You know the the idea is to try and make sure you're uptown problems, but but the idea really should be to if you have if you got uptown problems, recognize that actually that means your life's pretty good. I go further than that, saying that personally, for me, I can only speak for myself. Although I think it's a general, a general kind of thought that it's the hard times that make us better. We often don't recognise that until the good times arrive. Right? But say for me, I look back and go, "My God, that that those those hard periods in my life is what made me better. They stepped me up. The good times tend to be comfortable times, so you they're, they're lovely to have, but they don't necessarily force you to become better in any way so um and it's one of those things that I still I still rush I've got two young kids now um you know we are doing all right we're certainly a lot better off than I was when I was growing up but I do worry that you know I don't want to spoil them I don't want to make the life too comfortable I don't I don't want to Covered them in cotton wool, you know, I need to expose them not only like to risks and to hazards and to injuries and all that sort of stuff that you need to kind of to build up a, a level of physical and mental resilience to survive in the world, but also, you know, I, I don't want them to fail, but with the same token, I know they need to fail sometimes to learn how to fail and keep going and come back from that, you know, you know? so it's it's one of those really hard sort of paradoxes is that that you, you know they need to go through hard times. To learn certain life skills, but you don't want them to go through hard times because you don't. You want them to be happy all the time. So um, yeah, it's it's difficult
1: because it's it was one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on was that you were the, the epitome of somebody who was demonstrated you know having to deal with fear anxiety you went in places that most people went for fuck that you know i'm not going into that cave like you know look at the small opening you were doing these amazing things and it was you were like the first person i could think of about overcoming fear dealing with anxiety you know like challenging yourself and you do like these amazing things but you spent your time in the bomb disposal Apart from obviously having a lot of patience and sort of you know, what did you learn about that time of dealing with risk, doing you know, evolving risk assessments? Did you use things like box breathing? What do the military teach you about going in a situation where you think this shit could hit the fan? How do I control this?
2: Well the main the main thing is um both in bomb disposed on high research was threat assessment. Do an accurate threat assessment, which I suppose translates into the civilian world as, as a risk assessment. Ie, identify, and this is, what, this is often where people uh, go wrong. They, they people misidentify the problem, so they try and solve a problem that doesn't exist, or you know, or try and solve a problem that's minor and it's a major problem, the kind of an elephant in the room they're, they're in denial about. But in the case of these sort of dangerous things or, or, or seemingly dangerous things that I do, um, what is key is you start off and you go right. Where are the risks? The important ones, you know, I'm not worried about risks that might give me a, a scraped knee. I can't think it's going to kill me. Um, so where are the risks? And once you identify those risks, you're right. Where can I stop them from happening? And and the chances are you can't. Like, you know, you'll never be 100 percent certain um, that you can that you can completely nullify risks. So what you then go right? How can I mitigate those risks? How can I reduce the chance of those happening? Um you know, to, to an acceptable level. If I can reduce a risk from happening and that might be a million to one, all right, I'll, 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 I'll run with that. Um, and if you can't, if you can't reduce that potentially fatal risk to a, to a small degree, you go, okay, in that case, I'm gonna assume it's gonna happen. I'm gonna plan it and I'm gonna work and operate on the basis that that fatal problem is going to happen. What am I gonna do about it, bef- be, you know, um, in, th- in that moment, and therefore what skills and what equipment will I need in that moment to save my own life? So for example in diving, I, I normally dive with a, what a closed circuit rebreather. It basically recycles one breath and allows you to go much deeper uh, for much, much longer. Uh, it's the exact same technology that they use in EVAs and spacewalks. So um, never failed me, never failed me. But clearly if it does fail me underwater, I'm going to die. Not you know, it's not going to be a broken leg or a twisted ankle or that stuff. It's going to be, you're going to die. Cave diving is very, in deep dive, it's a very binary sport. It all goes well and you're okay. goes badly, but you fix it and you're okay. goes badly, you don't fix it and you die. That's kind of it. So, um, as I say, my, my, my rebreather never failed me. However, I assume it's going to fail every time I get in the water. And I assume it's going to fail at the worst possible moment. So, if, for example, in a cave dive, say I'm going to dive, I'm going to swim into this cave a, a kilometre, turn around and swim back. The worst time for it to fail is at that one kilometre, it's the farthest point. So I carry enough bailout gas, enough basically backup breathing gas uh, to get me out. So, and by doing this, you can make seemingly dangerous things, acceptably safe. Nothing's ever 100% safe, but you can manage that risk. And therefore, that's, that's the first part of, of, of managing fear. Once you understand the problem, and you understand what we be done about it, so you actually understand how dangerous something is, not how dangerous it appears to be, there's a lot less to be scared about. Take skydiving, yourself when you first jump in an aircraft, when I did it, my God, you're shitting yourself, you don't have a fucking plane at like fifteen thousand feet, of course it's terrifying. It's mental if you want. Um, uh, but, you know, what you do is you... you, you I, 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 before, I learned a lot about the equipment and the physics, about how the equipment works, and actually the, the safety um, ratings and statistics from both the UK and the US parachute Associations, which basically covers the world. Um, finding out what went wrong, and actually skydiving is one of the safest sports you can do, genuinely, statistically, one of the safest sports you can do. There are millions of jumps with maybe, you know, one I think it's like one fatality every three point four million jumps, but it's ridiculously safe. And they've got right where people are getting killed or injured. And actually a lot of it is not equipment error. It's people doing stupid things in the last few hundred feet under under good canopy. So the, the, the getting stressed that your canopy not open. is normally open. If you don't, you've got reserve. People are getting hurt because of decisions they've made, basically bad driving. You know, I mean, with with a parachute in the last few few seconds before landing. So, um, but again, by by the, the, the motto of the the parachute the parachuting school, the military parachuting school was knowledge dispels fear, and I quite I believe in that. that if you can if you understand the risks, you mitigate those risks. You understand how you've mitigated them, and obviously, finally, what you're going to do when it all goes wrong to make sure you're confident, you have those skills and the right equipment for that. Then yeah, jump. It's easy. Because
1: there's nothing to be scared about anymore. I mean, I've done one for a, um, a skydive for a charity, and it was like ten thousand feet. And I remember speaking to the guy beforehand. And that's what he said is, when you don't think about all the silly things people worry about, and actually look at what potentially could go wrong, and then look at the alternative, like safety mechanisms, said it is actually it's really safe. You just, it's just when you go up in the plane for the first time and you're looking, going, why is that not got a door? And you know, your your brain kind of goes, hey, wait a minute here, what's going on here? Like.
2: Um. So, so you beat the brain there, and that's a very good point. I've I, I mentioned before is the idea that we've all got this caveman, that, or cavewoman, depending who, who's listening, and this sits in the back of, of our heads, uh, and and effectively that's fear. Fear is your friend, right? Fear. Pe- people think fear is a negative thing. It's not. Fear is a positive thing. It's a, it's a survival mechanism. You know, the this sc- the scared caveman in the back of your skull who screams at you. He's your mate. He is trying to keep you alive. Okay? that his primary concern is your safety and well-being. He it, it, it doesn't care whether you're having fun or not. He doesn't care whether you're impressed with anybody. All he cares about, he doesn't care if you're earning any money. All he cares about is that you're safe. However, great, he doesn't understand physics, and he doesn't understand modern technology like aircrafts and parachutes and rebreathers and all that sort of stuff. So, yes, you go up in a plane, he's fucking terrified. You open the door at 15,000 feet and crawl towards the edge of that door. He is screaming in your head to stop so sometimes it's a matter of of overcoming uh that and the more you do something the more control you have over him and i used to listen to him i still you know when he screams to me when i'm when i'm climbing up a plane i'm like it's still it's a checks and balances it's like okay stop am i okay do a bit of a check Are oh, all my you know all my buckles are done up am i good to go you know he's the his voice, although quieter now than it once was, he is he, he ensures that uh, the complacency doesn't creep into my to my sort of drills when it comes to Skydive, Marketing or all others I'm doing. So um you know, you need to he's not always right, but he is on your side.
1: Cause that's something I did notice like with a lot of top performers is they uh, they accept fear will always be there, but that's how they deal with it and what they're going to d- how they're going to deal with it. Now you mentioned um, I think it was your TED talk where you know you were crawling through uh, um, a gap in a cave and you know there was not enough space, so you took your tanks off and pushed them through, and then you had to breathe in to get through the space. And I remember just listening, going, "Oh my god, that sounds terrifying." How do you at that point? where you're you know you're scraping along against a rock face underwater you know you pushed your life support away to get through how do you keep calm in that moment you know how do you when you feel in that sense adrenaline the nerves do you have a mantra is there a way that you've learned to kind of control it like box breathing or something that a way that you think in your head how on earth do you survive these amazing situations
2: a lot of time, so you, you have to stop for a second. I'm, I'm tempted to just stop and relax because usually when you're diving unless, unless you've got no air handy. I'll say to people this, problems in the water, first of all thing, take a breath. If you can do that, it's not that bad. That's, that's the first test. That's the first tick in the box. If you can't do that, okay, now you've got some serious fucking problems. But um, if you can breathe, okay, that's, that's half the battle. Um, take that breath. Take a moment, calm yourself down and 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 assess the situation. Um, and often, as I said before, it's it's about not letting the caveman run away with you. So, you know, when you're stuck, you're in a hole and you're slightly stuck underwater, it's very easy to let things get run away with you. Stop, go right. Am I actually stuck? No. I got in here. I might not be able to go forward, but I'm pretty sure I can go backwards because I got in, so I can get out. Um and the other thing really is. I think, a bit, you know, it, it's all, Sometimes it's, it's a matter of, of of doing the job in front of you. You know, it's, it's easy to say things like the old cliches about a journey of a thousand miles to start with a single step. But that's a question once when I gave a talk, it's uh, on the, that, that key thing you're speaking about. And so he says, "How do you how do you cope with the idea that you are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of meters under water, underwater, in, underwater and, and above you?" Is hundreds and hundreds of meters of bedrock, and you know you're on your own, and, and all that stuff, and you're you're miles from the eggs, and blah blah blah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't cope with that. because I don't think about that. Um, in the forces, you've got you've got tactical and strategic. Strategic is the bigger picture, you know. So it's you know when 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 Churchill he was he was dealing with the strategies of Europe. which tactical was kind of about the coal face. So that's the bloke on the front line trying to shoot the Nazi. That's you know. So, say in these situations, strategic is something you leave to your to your home office. When I'm planning these trips, so that's last way you do your, your best risk assessments and you you're looking at things that could go wrong and plans to put in place. When you're in those sort of conditions, think tactically, think right. I am in this hole. I need to get out of this hole. How do I get out of this hole? Right. I turn this. I push that there, and I crawl forward, and you know, I'm good to go. D- deal deal with the deal with the closest crocodile to canoe. Don't try and think about the. Next twenty crocodiles because your your brain starts spinning out. Um, like go muck that caveman. You don't want to feed him anymore. You know <laughs> he's probably nervous enough. You don't want to start thinking too big a picture because it all just becomes a bit much. And, and and once you start spiraling, it's very hard to to get yourself um, back from the lip. So you know if I found as soon as I start feeling a little bit sort of not panicky but a little bit, I just stop right because the, the the earlier you rein yourself back in, the easier it is.
1: So see when you're in that situation, I mean, something I haven't noticed a lot of people talking about is, I love that idea of, you know, you're stopping and going, okay, what's the next the next step, the next step, the next steps. you know, stop worrying about what could be happening, just what do I need to get through this? But once you've done that and you've crawled through that space and, you know, you've got to a secure location, how do you regroup, you know, how do you recalibrate and think, okay, you know, go over that. And carry on because, you know, you were saying about in other interviews about crawling in where a camera crew couldn't come. So you were taking like the GoPro through to get the shots for them. Mm. Once you've gone through, how do you calm yourself and go, okay, that's happened, but let's move on now. Before you go on,
2: you know, I mean, that's that's pretty much what I do. I've I've always been very good at compartmentalising stuff um, and kind of shutting shutting things down and going right. This is where we are. This is we've got to do. You know. Um, and, and I always do it very much like you said there, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll surface, see we did a cave dive during, during, between lockdowns last year and we were doing some bit of exploration, and we, we dived through carrying kind of all our kit and camping kit and dry tubes, we dived in this area, we suffered in a dry cave, made camp, and then, you know, cracked on with the next phase, um, and it's very much like that's how I do it, it's very kind of, um, oh, mechanical, right? Cool, that's done. Very good. Move on. And but there is disadvantage to this in that I'm very bad at celebrating achievements or celebrating goals or celebrating landmarks. That I'm very much like, great, okay, done that. Well done, right? That's done. Move on to the next thing. What's the next project? You know, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And and sometimes I I um, wish I could be slightly better at just taking the time to. To stop and appreciate what I've just done, um, or, or even w- where I am. Um, and it has happened. I'm getting better at it, but yeah. So almost the, the the same personality traits that make me very good at going right. That's done. I've 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 come through that hole. I'm not dead. Brilliant. And even in the times when I've, I've you know we've had things scarily go wrong, you start to go right. Okay, that's done. I'm still alive. Okay, deep breath. Crack on. Um, it means that I, I'm not always the best at kind of um, uh, appreciating things that have. Have happened and you know, certainly not there and then. Um, but you know, it comes down to there's all these psychological tricks and and, and great quotes and memes, and people talking about these techniques. And blah. but a lot of time it's like, right, that job's done, cool, we want the next job, just just get on with it. Which might sound a bit simplistic, but that's that's often the case. It's like, and, and actually, more often than not, it's because you have much choice, like you know. Uh, on the, that, that last project we did in Wales where we spent three days on the ground, we dived in with all our camp and kit and cave and kit and kit kit, we camped and then we kind of, our, our, uh, our diving kit through this big cave, so dived again, tied it through further, dived again, came on back, camped. The next morning, um, because I had to get back to pick the kids out from school at like 7 o'clock, I was about 4 in the morning, so I left the two boys um, asleep in the cave, Got myself rigged and, and dived out, and I was knackered, and I had problems with the kit, and I was like, just, you know, it was a real, it was a real kind of. It would have been difficult to motivate myself to get all my shit together and get back in the water and, and, and dive out of this cave. It's a good hour swim and all that sort of stuff, dragging all this equipment. The bottom line is, it doesn't require any motivation. Because you have no choice. So, um, yep, know, it's that's a good way of putting that. You have no choice what you can do. You can't, you can't stay in the cave for the rest of your life. So, um, it's a case of suck it up. And that's a, sometimes it's a case of just like, right, suck. And, I, and I do this a lot when I'm in these situations, especially when I'm doing solo projects. I talk to myself a lot. It's like, okay, take a moment, right, here's your moment, suck it up, get on with it. Um, you know, I'll kind of I'll be more in drill sergeant.
1: 'Cause I've had Dean Stoat on the podcast, I don't know if you know who he is, um, and he was mentioning about when he was in the special forces, what they did was like hot debriefs after it, where they went through, you know, what went right, what went wrong, how could we fix it? Do you think that's why you've been so successful is that after it you kind of review it and go, Okay, how do I fix this? And then you've got the reference point that the next time something I don't want to say bad, but something Scary happens that you can go. I've been in worse situations. I know that this is going to work well if I do this, this, and this. You know, do you think it's just getting the reference points and expanding that comfort zone that we have?
2: Yes, definitely. Um, perspective helps a huge amount. So, I say two things in that the, the first one is, um, you know, the, the more you expose yourself to hardships, mental, physical, um, you know, emotional, the the, the more armored you are against those things, I said the start about resilience. It's like I don't want my kids to have a hard time, but I need the I, I don't want them to be soft either, because eventually life will get hard, and I need I need them to build the tools to deal with them. But so what do you do? But the um you know I remember so I was in, when I was in the forces. My um, section sergeant Sergeant Rand from uh, from the SBS was um he was never allowed to to well we used to call it. It was never like to beast I give corrective training. So that was that's you know, but just you know, being thrashed, being like doing press-ups and runs and kind logs and you know, till you pass out. Um but one day we'd made whatever mistake we'd made, the the, the, the batch, and um, we we're, were standing um by uh down the bottom field at Limston actually, in the commando training centre, and we're facing the mud flats. The mud flats were horrendous. Trying to run in the mud flats was just the most soul destroying thing in the world. And behind us was a thing called the static tank, which is a big concrete tank of cold water, and they'd stand you in that for for, for long periods of time, and it was freezing cold, but actually a lot more uh, pleasant than the mud flats. So anyway, we're facing the mud flats, and with the static tank behind us, and the uh, the bat officer's right, turn round, and we all went, oh, thank God for that, to face Sergeant Rand, and he was stood in the lip of the static tank, and he went right. And he took us for this beast thing that lasted a couple of hours, and we were destroyed, absolutely destroyed. And we went back to the, to the, to the lines, to the, the bedrooms, the barracks, and um, he came up afterwards and he got us all out in the corridor. And he, he said, uh, What was the purpose of that? And we all said, Oh, because we made this, whatever mistake it was, I can't remember, weapons were dirty, whatever. And he said, Yep. Nope. He goes, Right. Next time you're out on excise in uh, in Dartmoor, the wind won't be as cold and the rain won't be as wet. And he walked off, and he was right. We're out that weekend in Dartmoor. It was you know freezing cold winds. And it was pissing the rain, and we we're like, this is nothing. You know, we've survived. So what a sergeant Ransby. It was we, you know, th- things like that make you make you harder. Simple as that. We just it just the weather just wasn't as bad as it could have been. So and the weather was nothing had changed with the weather it was us that had changed. And the other thing I say is about the idea you mentioned about your comfort zone. And I said this in the past, is that uh, over the last few years, I've been gaining a lot of new skills, uh, stunt horse riding, uh, paramotoring, doing these things, which are initially pretty scary. And but here's the thing, I've, I've learned enough new skills that and often scary things like skydiving, for example. You know, I really started to learn, learn skydiving about 10 years ago. I, I was a parachutist in the military, but the sort of sports um, skydiving. And um, so can still remember what it was like to start. And um, the more times you go outside of your comfort zone, not only does that comfort zone expand, which is the usual, what people talk about, that your comfort zone getting bigger and bigger, but actually, you get used to stepping outside that comfort zone. So, you know, I took up Paramotor and in the first flight around with Paramotor is pretty scary. But I'm like, okay, cool, I've been here before. Like I've been in a situation where I am doing a new thing. I'm not very really good at it and I'm scared. I've been here before. Learning to the horse ride properly and you know and, and to, to to gallop and to jump and to ride bareback and all these other things again it can be pretty scary at the start. But again like cool, okay, well I don't know. I don't I can't I can't ride. But you know what? The, the actual general feeling of be feeling that like you can't do something and see this would be being scared is not new that's that's a, so so doing new things doing things that scare you not only increases your comfort zone but also makes it more and more comfortable to step outside of that zone
1: i love that kind of mindset because you know i was just thinking back to like when um my family have sheep, you know, we have like lambing seasons and, you know, there's that moment of when you've been soaked to the bone, holding a sheep down while your dad's lambing it, you know, and it's wind in your face and that once you've got that reference point, you're not, you're never as cold again. And I love yeah. that kind of mindset with the soldiers, you know, it's kind of, you know, you've, you've ex- experienced the worst of it. So it's never going to be just as bad as that. And I, I think that's the point is like, we've, we've become too soft as a society. You know, you can get food delivered to your door, dates ordered online. You know, you can do all these I mean, like amazing things for life. But we've also taken away, I think, was it Bruce Lee that said, you know, don't teach, give your kids everything that you didn't have. Give them the knowledge and the skills that you never had, you know, that make them better.
2: Yeah, absolutely. As I said at the start that, it's something I, I wrangled, you know, I want to instinctively be what you want to do. I want to give my kids everything, you know, but then I have to check myself, going no, 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 you don't, because what you, I, I'd rather they were sometimes unhappy in their childhood, but didn't grow up to be spoiled brats, you know, uh, or didn't grow up to be to be soft. And it's not that I'm saying that being soft is bad. It's saying that it's like risk for exhaustion. I said I said in schools and into with teachers and, and and pupils as well. But like the idea is you 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 do not want to expose your children to risk. Of course you don't because you, those risks could, could come to fruition and they could get injured or worse. But with the same token, you can have to because like it or not, life is full of risks and if you've never been exposed to risks and you've never been taught how to deal with those risks, then one day when inevitably a risk rears its ugly head, you're pretty fucked, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's always that, it's that sort of, I suppose it applies not just to my kids, but to, to people in general, you know, if, 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 people, if people listen to this, it's like, yeah, obviously, you're not going to want to go and kill yourself, you're already exposed to lethal risks, but you have to expose yourself to to some degree of risk in odd to learn how to cope with these things and the tools that will work best for you because it's all different like you're on your podcast with lots of people with lots of opinions and tools on how best to deal with fear and anxiety and stress and that sort of stuff um, and and like with many things they're all probably right. Um, but they may not be right for, for you. You know, you've got to try at different things to find out which one works best for you. And if the only way to do it did you know, again, people want a quick fix and read a book and have the answer. Well, I'm afraid the only answer is to get there and do it and experiment yourself. Um, there are no shortcuts, but you'll let e- even the, the, the wrong path will teach you a huge amount.
0: It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy. So, how do you know which ones are worth your hard earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com/affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com/affiliates and level up.
1: Because it's something people have mentioned is, you know, that you're going to feel the fear anyway, but some people have said, you know, you train so much and you get your skills to such a high level that you fall back to the level of your training, not to the situation so that, you know, even if you have gone out your way and gone in a really bad situation, you can at least know that your skills will kick in. You know, do you, would you agree with that, that... You know, it's the fact that you know because you started diving when you were like really young. You know, some would say, "Oh, was that your confidence your youthful confidence overtaking like a more sort of mature way of looking at you know, like seeing the dangers?" Or do you think it's because you've you have been so skillful and built up years of experience that you know you feel it anyway, but know your skills are there to get you out of the the situation?
2: Yeah, I think I always tell people they should train one level up. So, you know, if, if, if let's take diving because it's a really good kind of example because it's got figures in it. The, you never want to dive deeper than 30 metres, for example. Obviously, cool, train to 50. Train to 50, which means if, if anything goes, if the shit's the fan at 30 metres, you've got a bit in the back. You know, if you're, what you, if, you, if you're absolutely at your maximum level of competency and skill and mental fortitude, and then something goes wrong, you know, you've got, you've got no room for uh, for error. And obviously it gets to a point when we're doing sort of pinnacle dives or pinnacle skylight, but some of the, the big projects we've got planned uh, cave diving-wise, you know, you, yes, you get the point where you are diving at your absolute limits, but that's that's something you've got to accept to, to, um, to, to sort of push the boundaries. But... Um, so I always think you know you know what's the old adage in the forces you know train hard fight easy you know that you you want to be training harder than you're going to fight so if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're I don't know if you're I'm sure marathoners would disagree with this it's probably not a very good analogy a very accurate analogy but you know if you're going if you want to run 26 miles in a race maybe train to 28 or something like that um, so um, so and as far as it's as I, I, I do think that um, one of the reasons that like I, I don't get scared before a cave dive I don't get scared before skydiving but that's because I've done so much of it um, I do still foster that little I, I don't I try not to um, and I'd never want to lose a little caveman because the the little caveman that little bit of that tiny little bit of fear you want to keep hearing because that's a reminder mate check your kit. Mate, you know, check this, mate. What the clouds doing, mate? What's the water doing, whatever? Um, because yeah, complacency can kill, it. and it often happens if you look at the statistics. And I do a lot of, I do a lot of research on to sort of, you know, the action reports because I always think, right, you know, this something's gone wrong. with Something is that something that could affect me. Um, there's a bell curve which you tend to find in both skydiving and diving. So it's it's the, they're quite good for that um, in that. There's not that many accidents when people are beginners, and there's not that many accidents when people are experts. It's kind of, not even middle, it's slightly to the right of the middle. So it's when people are maybe advanced intermediates. It's when they start know, or getting enough knowledge and experience and qualifications to have a bit of a swagger about them and think that they know everything. And that's when, when things tend to go a bit wrong. Um, they tend to be the same people on the internet with with mass opinions about black and white opinions, about should be done like this or should be done like that. Whereas you then speak to guys who are like you know global experts and something like like cave diving, and they're like, well, there's a few different ways to do it. There's there's you know, there's a few good ways. There's a few right answers, and you know. And they're the guys that again we're, we're on flight lines, so we do flight line checks and skydiving. So before you get the aircraft, you check your kit, then you have somebody else check your kit, um, and sometimes you'll see guys who've got hundred, a few hundred jumps. Well, I don't need my kit. Okay, I kit checked. I'm, uh, I've got a few hundred jumps, and I'm like, "Good mate." Me and these two guys have got thousands of jumps, and we are still checking each other's kits because here's the key thing that people should remember about this very long diatribe I'm doing: never underestimate your own ability to be a fucking idiot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that you know it takes what was it they'll say it's like you can have years of faithful service but it can take two seconds to fuck up you know it's exactly and I love that that you have these kind of like protocols and that you haven't got the you're not like arrogant enough to think oh I, I'm never going to be infallible so you get guys to check yeah make sure you're right and you know there's procedures Do you think that comes the good thing that came from the military where they give you, you know, like doing the reckeys and having fallout points and meet up points and all these kind of things that, you know, the situation you're going to go into. So there shouldn't be too much popping up that, you know, kind of goes, oh, God, I never knew about that. You know, do you kind of how do you do it in that situation, especially when you're, you know, doing new cave systems where you can never know exactly what's coming? Have you found a way that works for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, the first thing I say is that um, you know, do it at home. Put your laptop, bring your pants, the cup of tea. You can think far, far clearer there, and you can stress to the max underwater in the dark. So um, you know, it's like when 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 I have things have gone wrong and I've 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 done something, they go, "My God, you saved your life in that one second. Like, no, I didn't. I didn't save my life in that one second. I saved my life in the well. Actually, I saved my life in the, in the years build up to that, gaining the skills to be able to do it. But actually, what I did was when i was sitting at my desk, going right, we're doing this dive, right? I've got my rebreather, cool. Right, I'll need some bailout gas. I'll need a spare torch. I'll need this. Right, if this goes wrong, I'll do this. If this goes wrong, I'll do this. So you've already thought about all that in the comfort and the space and the the, the peaceful, um, you know, environment of your own home. You know, sat sat on the sofa, or whatever. Um, so that's time to think because you've got plenty of time to think clearly there and put plans in place. So when they're all, with the shit's you go cool. Thankfully, I've already spent hours working out how to deal with this problem, so that I can deal with it in one second. I'm not going to die. As for the military stuff, I mean, it'd be, it'd be very easy for me to say, yeah, the, the military taught me about you know having drills in place and having SOPs like standard operating procedures, and these are all great. But the flip side is that the, my 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 main uh, skydiving mate. Um, has never been in the military, and he's a much better skydiver than I am, more knowledgeable. Um, my main, my two main sort of cave diving, deep diving, technical diving um, sort of buddies, again, neither of my ex forces, and they're very, very, very good at, you know, world class at what they do. So, um, you know, it, although I think the military... Uh, definitely gave me a a certain mindset and a certain way of approaching things. It's clearly not the only path to the same destination because uh, the the people that I operate with in some of of the most extreme environments you can think of, um, they didn't come that route.
1: And do you think some of it is also from you're so used to, you know, you're like the safety diver, you're leading expeditions, you've got like a a less experienced camera crew and presenters behind you that it's almost like, you accept that responsibility you know like how what have you learned about teamwork from that situation of having to you know monitor people and risk assess and check their like an evolving situation do you think that's part of it is that it's given you the the ability because you can't really worry about yourself as much because you're looking at the less able people
2: yeah I think I mean I, I, I enjoy coaching um I think coaching and, and taking people at like that makes me better because it forces me to kind of look at myself and look at, understand or, or reassess some of the things that I've been doing. To be brutally honest, I don't tend to do stuff with people that need a lot of assistance. As I say like when I'm cave diving with Chris or, or, or diving with Rich, the two, two main divers, you know, they're world class. So, so we're on a par. We're obviously all still looking out for each other but there's 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 no one being led by the hand. Um, you know, when, I, when I'm doing Skyrim stuff with 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 Mikey, um, again, we are, you know, we're not, we, so, so I, because the nature of the things I do, I'm trying to work out how it says, that's a completely arrogant twat, but the nature of the things I do means that the people I've got to do it with are of a very, very high standard, and therefore they don't, need me to look after them, because if they did, they shouldn't be there.
1: I mean, that makes perfect sense, because it's probably part of your risk assessment as well, is that, you know, like, missions are almost only as good as the the weakest member of the team, so you probably wouldn't want to put yourself in a situation, of a dangerous situation, with people who are going to need you to, to lead them by the hand. Correct. That is, that is a probably a, a really good thing about, you know, your ability to sort of say, I need team members who are going to be at that level that i know i can trust i know they're going to do their their part of it like you were saying go from a to b to c so how do you keep yourself evolving in this situation because one of my friends um he's a he was the youngest master diver in i think was it scotland or cyprus um and uh you know he's got dyslexia and he hates reading for example Um, And he said, is there another way you can, apart from reading, that you can keep evolving and learning your skills? Because he said as soon as he got to a certain level, it was just tons of books, it was tons of theory. But is there another way of learning the skills and keeping your skill set evolving to a point where you're always improving yourself and never resting or getting too overconfident?
2: Yeah, I think, well, two things to say, that that, um, you need to keep doing... Things like you know, I mean, the, the, the dive, and I can take six months off, I can jump back in, I'm still pretty good. Um, although you know, before a big dive, I'll still want to shake out dive to test my kit, and just and, and you're always like, you always feel really a bit awkward, a bit, a bit kind of ham fisted and uncoordinated if you've not jumped the dive like over COVID, you know, I've not dive for six months, jumping in the water, like, buddy, I was right here, and you know, make it five, ten minutes, and then you sort of sounds like you're yeah, good to go. Um, free diving. Um, I, I find that I lose that quite quickly, the sort of physiology of it. So you know, it might not take a couple of days to come back, but but the first, if I've had six months off freediving, the first time back in the water, it's just a real struggle to get a good breath hold and to get depth and that sort of stuff. Same the climbing and, and, and getting to skydiving again is, is the skill. theory in skydiving is very instinctive, uh, is is quite sharp. You know, you take a couple of months off, and you, it'll take you two or three jumps if you're lucky to get to get back uh, back uh, You're back in the game properly. So the best thing to do is to is to keep is to maintain those skills, and then the second thing to improve. Well, that requires effort, um, and it's very easy to get a certain point and then just keep doing the same thing, which means you're just gonna, you know, you're just gonna stay at the same level. And if that's what you want to do, that's not a problem with that at all. But that's you know, if you want to get better, it requires more effort. And the, the slightly disappointing thing is that the better you get the more effort it takes to go one level up. You know, it's a bit like weight loss. Um, or, or, or even better, let, let's talk about uh, with a guy in my troop. But, um, it, took him, it took him 14 and a half minutes to run a mile and a half. And three weeks later, I got him running a mile and a half in 10 and a half minutes, which is what you need to do for this 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 is the most amount of tests I'm going to do. But anyway, point being is you can knock three minutes off his mile and a half time in three weeks. However, it would take another six months to knock a minute off, you know? And when I was training, you know, I, I'd train for six months to knock five seconds off. I have to go from like eight minutes to like seven fifty five, could take a whole year. So, um, it's an exponential curve. So the better you get, the more efforts required to get a little bit better. Um, yeah. Another thing is this idea, about, um, elasticity so mental elasticity and uh, your children have it really well we, we tend to lose it in, in adulthood but the more new stuff you you learn the better you become at learning new things so and so there's a transferable so or it may not be but you know I was a not of horse riding lately and although that's not retransferable really to cave diving just the, the sort of being in situations where I'm I'm not comfortable where I am not particularly good where I I am stressed and I'm a bit anxious and things aren't going well and I'm not really sure how to cope with that's healthy and good and those sort of things are transferable back into the cave diving to keep me kind of from, from becoming uh, complacent.
1: Because I suppose that's like the you know the principle of like cross training. You know, you are actually learning new skills, but you're also you know picking up the little transferable things or the mental toughness from other skills, and you know your brain's always kind of learning and building new her sort of pathways between things. Something I was really interested in was you know, you've talked about carrying equipment and, you know, moving cameras for film sets and, you know, you're walking up in the hills and camping away and stuff like that, especially like in the army. What did you learn about your sort of philosophy towards, you know, refueling and watering yourself, you know, your diet, your physical conditioning? How do you maintain the like, strength, the endurance to, to continue doing these things? you know, like I, I've worked in jobs where tanks oxygen, I know how heavy they can be, especially when you've got soaking wet wetsuit on you and you're camping in a remote gorge or something. How, how do you keep yourself physically and mentally able to do these things?
2: Yeah, the... Um, yeah, that is one thing about, about diving. Everything in diving was an absolute ton. God almighty. um. The worst bit is when you've got to carry blocks of lead, which is just like you know. You think, what the fuck am I doing? It's just you know carrying blocks of lead weight just to make my life harder. Um, yeah, the, the things about a lot of stuff I do um, is muscular forces is, is, is that sort of what I can be called battle fit. It's nothing specific. It's not athleticism necessarily. It's just that ability to hump and up gear and to keep going. Just kind of a general fitness. So I mean, I've always you know, built a gym at home. I've always been into. I think I've always been into fitness because at the time when the, the stuff I was doing the forces it, it, it's now just ingrained that you can't you can't not be fit. Plus, I think that you know in any survival situation or any situation like there's never a situation where being fit is is a, is a detriment. There's no there's no such thing as like it, it, may, it may not always be a plus like if you're playing chess for example, but it's never a detriment. So you know why not have that tool with you at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing that COVID was good for in lockdown. I mean, I'm on the road an awful lot, but it gave me the chance to experiment a lot with training, but also diet, um, you know, cutting stuff out, putting stuff in. And let me speak before bit about what works for me because, you know, people say, oh, I'm really confused. There's, there's people, people claiming great results from paleo, people great results from veganism, or vegetarianism, from keto, from, from whatever else. And I say, look, they're not lying to you it worked for them that doesn't mean it's going to work for you and the only thing people, but again people want the quick fix they want the answer well I'm you see you got to, the only way you can get a proper accurate answer is to find out for yourself so during COVID we, well, I did that um I cut out meat um I cut this all different types of meat um I cut out um gluten like dairy I cut out night like, like tomato like tomatoes um I tried I tried high fat, I tried low fat. So just again, just for four to six weeks each time, just seeing what difference it made. Now, I was less concerned about um, kind of athletic performance and more concerned about A energy levels and secondly um, inflammation because through my time in the forces on and on, on exhibitions and stunts, um, you know, I'm in my forties now, I've picked up a lot of injuries. So I broke my back, I smashed my knees, i got pins in my leg, I've ripped my, my shoulders. Um, and they never sort of fully heal, so you know, up in the morning, and I, I've got a lot of aches and pains. So I was looking for, right, what will make me not? It's not an instant cure. It's not a magic pill, but what will make me, um, ache, ache a little bit less? Um, so yeah, now, now currently, I, um, uh, I don't, I try to avoid gluten. I try to avoid dairy, and I eat quite a lot of fat. It's not keto because I did actually try keto and I just couldn't go on with it. It's it's like you basically can't eat any fruit or vegetables, which just doesn't make any sense to me. So, um, so um, I eat plenty of fruit, plenty of vegetables, and and lots of good fat, like good fats as well. You know, it's like your vegetables are, are all just crap. Um, and so, it's I, I suppose we describe my diet as a low inflammation diet, but again, that works for me. Like my mm-hmm. missus, she tried keto as well. She was amazing on it. Lots loads of body fat. She was bags of energy. She was you know. So again. A lot of these diets, it's like, well, you know, it's it's Which which one works? Well, they all might work, or none of them might work. You just got to experiment. You know, I've had people, um, friends of mine who are stunt prof- professional, like stunt performers, getting a lot of knocks, and, and they they cut meat of the diet, and suddenly a lot of their aches and pains disappeared. But then other guys did the same, and it made no difference. In fact, they felt weaker. Um, so you've got to invest the time to, to work it out of yourself. Um, but that's. That's Where I was lucky to say over 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 COVID, so in my, in my training, you know, I'm trying, I tend to be a bit more, I, see, I suppose, gymnastics, was it stunt training? So it's a little bit of weight, it's a little body weight stuff, a lot of movement stuff, um, and it's but all very general, um, yeah.
1: Because it really kind of teaches you about yourself, doesn't it? Like, cause, I mean, I remember doing the Duke of Edinburgh, you know, and it's like everybody's always fine when they're inside and they're dry. But the second you're walking and you've got blisters in your feet or you've got wet socks and you've got to carry the food you're going to eat and, you know, you you have to go and take a, a dump outside, you know, all these kind of things. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's amazing how quickly people's sort of morale and that goes down. So how, you know, how do you keep that mental toughness while you're doing these things? Is it, like you were saying earlier, is it just uh, it's because it's paying my wages? I know I need to do this. I need to get back to my kids. I need to get back to my missus. You know, is is it just that straightforward, do you think?
2: It's funny. you said there, as a phrase you use. everybody's a good diver when everything's going well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's true that both the point of view of that and the point of view of people's character, everyone's a great laugh in the pub. They're nice and warm. But it's like, right, now when, when things... And you know what happened in COVID? Suddenly, a lot of people were acting like dicks because the shit's the fun. It's all getting a bit stressful. And people who are normally lovely, suddenly they're getting a bit like, you know, these are fairly selfish acts. It's like, well, because suddenly life's got a little bit stressful and suddenly people are uh, not quite... You know, the people you thought they were. On the surface they could do what they could they could they could act one way, but when it when it came to an actually challenging situation, suddenly they reverted to the two, they're real the real sort of uh, self. So, you know, it's a case of I mean often I'm with my mates and these things and you bottom line is you don't wanna be a dick you don't wanna be you don't be seen to be giving up for your mates or to be complaining or to be you know, to be supposed to be weak. Um and that's part of it, you know, it's have some pride. Like, right. And the other thing is, is, is the same with instinct in, in yourself. Like, when you get back from these things, you have to look yourself in the mirror. And there's a story um, told by a friend of mine, Monty Halls, about a mate he knew who's a dive guide out in out in South Africa. And the dive guide surfaced with, like, six you know, divers, and the boat wasn't there. The boat had gone. There, I don't know what reason. The boat had gone, so they're floating in the middle of the... I think it's Pacific, things it was the, uh, the East Coast, the Pacific. And um, he said, right, the, let's get together. And I said, right, the boat will be back. The boat will come back at some point and you'll be okay. And you have a choice now how you, how you decide to act right now. And how you decide to act right now will be with you for the rest of your life. The thing he was saying was, you can shout and scream and complain and act like a dick and then you'll be rescued. And you have to live that the rest of your life. Or you can be strong and you can be cool and you can go with this and you, can, and you can be proud of the person that you have been in this situation. So sometimes it's that you've got to think about. And it's, and it's decisions that I've made with, with TV and stunts and, and some of the, the creations decisions I've made over the years in turning stuff worked down and I've been offered a lot of money to do stuff and I've gone, yeah, but I need to go home and I need to look at myself in the mirror. I need to look at my kids. And, and again, I mean, with, with telly stuff, sometimes they go, oh, can you just say this about the, about the skydive? Like, no, why not? It's really exciting, really cool, and the audience will care. Yes, but one of my friends is skydiver might watch this, and then he's going to take me to task and ask me why the hell I said that, which isn't true about skydiving, and he'd be right to do so. So, yeah, it's. it's but I think it's, it's holding yourself accountable.
1: I love that because a lot of people aren't at the minute, you know well, things were going fine and then suddenly, you know, everybody's bulk buying toilet roll and causing mayhem. And I'm thinking, you know, you wouldn't do that normally. So why do you think it's acceptable in a situation like this? You know, be the person that you would want to be leading. You know, look for the guy, be the person that you would wish was leading the the group of you to get, to, you know, control the situation. Do you have a recovery protocol? Is there something that you can do away from this away from the adrenaline away from the madness is it just with the kids is it you know just being a, a normal life just to kind of reset yourself and uh, before the next mission or do you just think well that's my work i'm going from freelance to freelance job i just get on with it
2: you can't get on with it i mean but I, try, I do try and and spend some time at home because i i quite like spending time in my house i like my house i like my kids and my missus you know um i like, I like being at home um, and I have to program stuff because, yeah, I, I've tried the past where I've been like, right, I've got this seven day thing and then I'll do another seven days. And then you realize you, you you can't fit 28 days into 28 days. You need 40 days because you need a few days off to recover and just to do stuff like wash your kit and tidy it away and repack. <laughs> I mean, you can't actually just go from job to job, job, job. It's impossible. Um you know, I've never been a very good sleeper, but I've been working on that a lot lately. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I try and programme in time at home. But it's not just to recover; it's because I actually like spending time, in, in, you know, in my in my house. I like spend time at home. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I think often people see it's like, oh, it's not cool. You got to be on the road. You be on the ground. There's nothing wrong with spending time in your own house with your own family. That's just <laughs> not a problem at all.
1: It's like that grind twenty four seven, and it's complete garbage.
2: Yeah, like if you if you. Like, I like sleeping, I like going to bed. Like, I like, I don't, I'm not always that good at it, but and um, when I'm at home, it's not always possible. I'll attempt to put the kids, to I put the kids to bed at seven o'clock on the dot because they're still quite small, and then seven till half nine is our time. I'll watch a film or you know, um, she got me into sort of now and again, we'll play, play the orbit of a computer game, um, with love, love a bit of Witcher 3. Um, so good choice, yeah, um, b- because and there's pros and cons to this, and there's genuinely pros and cons cons to this, but my hobbies are also my job. So, you know, I love skydiving. and I love cave diving, and I love freedom. And my mates, so, like, people who come to my wedding, uh, they're all stunties and skydivers and cave divers and things like that because that's what I do with my spare time and my non-spare time. That's, you know... Like the weekends in the summer, when the weather's good, I'll take the campervan down to uh, down to the drop zone in Devon, and I'll be I won't be getting paid to do it. You know, it's not for any work stuff. It's just because I like skydiving my mates. Um, so, so yeah, kind of the things I do to relax from cave diving and skydiving and what have you is cave diving and skydiving. <laughs> um, but I like, cause, you know, cause I like even the stunt work, like I, I've been very lucky to work with, like some. Talk, top, top people, and not just super professionals, but but actually like solidly nice, decent human beings. Um, you know, some of them who within weeks of meeting them was like we're friends for life. So I like going to work because I'm get I get to hire my mates. You know, people that I love spending time with. So um, you know, we get a call for a stunt job. Um, and I'm like, who's who's on the crew? all these guys? Oh, brilliant! That's great. You know, I'm, 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 it's, it's kind of like a bit like going on a holiday. Um.
1: I love so, yeah. that kind of mindset. It's like it's it's not work. It's going with friends. You know, it's not a It's not a dangerous situation. It's it's an adventure with my with my friends. You know, I get yeah. to go and enjoy this. It's not like oh god, I'm going in a scary situation. It's hey, I get to go and have a great laugh and explore some some caves with my friends. You know, it's.
2: Well see, I mean the, the projects fortunately I got a lot of control over so I can kinda of choose who's on there and I'm gonna choose my mates. A because they're mates and B because they're very, very, very good at what they do. Um you know, you can't just be my mate. I've got I've got mates in the village that I live in the can't cave dive. They're not coming in a cave dive in expedition. Um but um and the other thing I think is, is having is having some putting down some roots because I, I I moved around that much that I didn't I didn't really do that, and also the idea of of giving back, so I don't speak about huge mount, but I'm quite heavily involved with um, like mountain rescue, cave rescue, and and, and sort of water rescue, um, especially in my local area, and um, and that. That's something sort of outside of of work. It's got nothing to do with work. It's got no real crossover to work. I suppose the climbing has a little bit. Of the cave and cave. I do well, we, do cave diving rescue as well, but 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 it's not it's not for that. It's just using skills on your behalf to, to help out. Um, and um, you know that's that it's, it's good. That's good to do because I'll go out on a Sunday and I might I might run some sort of cliff rescue because I, I teach them some of the cliff rescue stuff uh, with the guys in the local area. And that's just for itself there's no there's no angle to that that's not I'm not writing articles on it i'm not promoting it on social media i'm not making a film about it. it isn't helping my stunts i do it just because um you know i enjoy doing it and it's it's rewarding um and and especially so when you get a call out and you you, 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 you can help somebody so i find having that which is completely outside of of what i do for work slash hobby is uh, is a healthy thing oh, uh, to be fair my boys because i've got two boys a four and six year old and um, think it's cool even though we don't know do, you you know what are you going to do that? i'm off to do rescue training that's well, that's well cool so uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> i love that like it's it's amazing what like how i mean i've got so many questions still for you and i know we're, we're on seven just now but I would love to have you on a round two because there's so much stuff. I think we're just sort of touching the surface and I find you so easy to talk to and it, you're so engaging. And I think that's why you've been so good at presenting, but um, until we can get around two and what would you want people to remember from this? You know, how could we start getting our own adventures and how can we start becoming more Andy Torbett in our own life?
2: So I was at the question once, um, well, again, at the end of the talk, um, what's the secret? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes like, well, you know, you see these guys that like Leo Holding and, and, and people like myself now making a living from invention. What's the secret? And it made me think, and I was like, yeah, you're right. I, I asked the same question when I first started. I looked at these, you know, you Ronald finds the Worlds, so or Leo Holdings was a good example of the climbing world. Like, how the hell do you make a living as a climber? How do you make a living as a diver, you know? And not a commercial dive but like you know, to adventure, explore whatever you want to call it. And um, so I, I wrap my brains like i try to find this out, and you know, you go at this and try to look at well, how do you manage this? And you go, right, well, well while I'm trying to figure it out. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go and do a little project where I'll I'll um, you know I'll go and dive in the highest loch in Scotland, lake in England and Clinton, Wales. Cool, cool. And I still couldn't figure it out. But anyway, so I wrote an article on that. But anyway, I couldn't figure it out. So I'll go and do this solo cave diving project in Scotland and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, that'll, that'll keep me taking over. And eventually you wake up when you're doing it. Uh, and the secret is, and it sounds, I know it sounds cliched and a bit, a, bit, a bit kind of predictable, but the secret is there is no secret. The people out there doing these things are not any better than you. They just got off their arse and started. And it's a and it comes back to the idea of like how do you get to this end goal? Well, don't worry about that. Worry about the, just take the first step. So if you want to become a professional, you know, underwater explorer, all right. Well, first of all, can you dive? If you can't dive, go and learn. What do you learn? Go and jump in places where no one else has died before. It might be rubbish, it might not be, but just just make a start. You know, no one is an overnight success. The people who are overnight successes. Usually, spend years and years and years of grafting to get to the point where they become an overnight success. So um, that's the key thing. It's just literally go out there and do it. Just go. And it, it, I know it's, it sounds frustratingly simple, but it really is that true. Um, and if if anybody said, oh, I had an example, I'd a give them more sort of concrete illustrative example, but that's the case of it. If, you know, if you and a friend of mine who wanted to be a professional uh, mountain bike racer. So he bought a mountain bike and he started training and then he started entering races. And, you know, over the years, he's got better and better and better. now that's what he does.
1: I love that. It's like they say, you know, it's the two best times to start something is 10 years ago or today. You know, time will pass regardless. Why not do it
2: and doing the things you love? I think it's a Japanese proverb, isn't it? It says um, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now.
1: I love it, and I can't. It's felt like five minutes, honestly, chatting to you. And I think there's so many things I'd love to chat to you about. So we've got to do a round two. But until then, is there? How can people find you, connect with you? You know, see these amazing things you're doing.
2: Um, probably Instagram's the best one. So, surprise name, I'm Andy Torbert on Instagram. Um, <laughs> I've got a website, which, I've got, I've not updated in years. I need to update the website a bit. It's, it's a bit out of date. But um, so. You're probably better off if, if you want anything up to date or to, to message me, use Instagram.
0: Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it